0: This episode of the Porter Notes Podcast is brought to you by us. We don't have any sponsors. We know this. You know this. If you want a sponsor, that would be awesome. Just get in touch. Send us an email. There's a number of ways you can contact us and inquire about becoming a sponsor of this podcast. If you're not a sponsor, but a listener, that's fine. This is for you. Well, it's for us, too. All right, let's get started. Everybody, this is Alex, and welcome to another episode of the Porter Notes podcast. Just want to start out right away by thanking everybody for listening to the season opener. A couple weeks ago, we launched a new episode starting this season. We're not really straying from the tried and true formula that we have going on, which is some interviews, some chat between Lori and I. And this seems to be working out pretty well. You guys like it, and we like to do it, so this episode is not much different. It's an interview I've conducted with my good friend Brad Palmer. Brad is a musician who's played in the Wisconsin area in Illinois. Great guy, and I was really happy to sit down and have a chat with him. We covered a lot of ground, and I'm really happy to have done so. So I hope that you enjoy that. Before we get started on that, however, just want to say thank you to the good people of the great state of New Hampshire, and I apologize, I don't remember one of the things that New Hampshire is, uh, you know, one of those little known factoids that Lori brought up last time, but they stepped up to the plate, and we have had at least one person from New Hampshire listen to the podcast, and that's pretty awesome. I don't know who it was. And that's okay. I don't need to know. However, remember that there is a a bit of a, uh, not a contest, but kind of a giveaway that we've got going. We announced it in the last episode. If there's somebody out there who's new and they can definitively prove that they are a new listener, that they have listened and somebody has turned them on, To the podcast we will definitely send something a gift out and you know what I'm at this point right now I'll send a gift out to the person who listens I'll send a gift out to the person who refers either one both doesn't matter to me I'll send to both of you what is it going to be what is this gift (laughs) something awesome I'm just going to say that is it handmade maybe you know I have plenty of handmade things here around the house is it uh, valuable possibly I, I don't know intrinsic value perhaps uh, as as you know from the last episode we are clearing out excess in our home and it has been a wonderful cathartic experience really so we hope that we will gain some listeners and you'll also help us with this clear out i'm not sending out junk i mean i'm not you're not gonna get a you're not gonna get a box full of like uh you know uh Fingernail clippings or something like that. No, you're gonna get something nice, and it's gonna be something that we've owned or used or well, probably, really, my parents have owned. And yeah, uh, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna love it. You're gonna look at it, and every time you look at it, you're gonna think of us. You're gonna think of us here at Porter Notes Podcast. In fact, I highly recommend that you listen to the podcast and gaze lovingly upon the item that you receive free. That's that's probably the best experience that you could have, really. So, all right. Uh, Another thing I wanted to address. Yes, I do recall last year I did a question and answer thing on my social media platforms, both Instagram and Facebook, where I asked questions. Or, Well, actually, what I did was I allowed listeners and fans to ask questions, and I said that I would have the answers on a forthcoming podcast, which is true. I intend to do that. Now, to be fair, most of the questions pertain to covid I think I've covered that ground last episode and and today, so I'm not really going to get into it too much. There were a couple of other questions that I think were pretty cool, so I'll get to those. uh, Not today, but I will get to those very soon. Also, I would like to say a big thank you to everybody who has been supporting the podcast Virtually and online, and, and saying good things and sharing information about the podcast to other people. That is a lot of help and a lot of fun. So, I'm going to keep this portion brief. I'm going to get into the interview with Brad. He did have a few things that he wanted to mention that did not come up in the podcast. And so, in my wrap up, I'll make sure to mention those things specifically. So, please. Sit back, relax, and enjoy my conversation with Brad Palmer.
1: Good to see you, Alex. Good it, to hear from you.
0: It's good to see you, too. How are you? Uh, how you doing with the winter?
1: I'm um, freezing my whatever off, but, uh, you know, I'm a Midwesterner, so I'm used to it.
0: You're outside of Rockford, right?
1: Yeah, just just uh, south of the Wisconsin border.
0: So you've gotten more snow than we have up this way or up by Portage where you used to live, but you certainly, I don't think you've gotten the cold that we have.
1: Well, it was nine below this morning.
0: Yeah, it was 16 below here in Reedsburg.
1: Well, that's why I moved south. <laughs>
0: hey but you're still uh you're still playing gigs at at fawn creek though right
1: i am yes i uh, this is my seventh year there, and uh they are wonderful people to work for and i've I, I enjoy playing there so even though i'm uh two hours away now it's it's well worth it to me to go up there and and see everybody and play the gig
0: that's a heck of a commute
1: yeah it's once or twice a month it's not bad.
0: How did you, uh, how'd you get into that show?
1: I had heard about Vaughn Creek, uh, and I, I visited there several times a year for three years. And, uh, as with everything with the music business, it's not in who you are, it's in who you know. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And, uh, one of the people I worked with at the hospital, uh, is the mother of one of the owners. Mm -hmm. And so she put a good word for me in for me and, uh. I played the first gig and I've been there ever since. So,
0: I think that I've I've come to find that a lot of it is just being on the scene. You know, being available. Yeah, I was
1: I was persistent. Yeah, I was I was polite, but I was persistent. I go drop my card off and <laughs> and uh, give them a call once in a while. It paid off.
0: Yeah, for you it definitely has. I uh, I know that. Uh, I know that you have quite the following there, it seems, anyway.
1: Well, especially in the summer, there's people that camp up by the Dells that uh, come from up in northern Wisconsin and Iowa and places, and uh, after you see them six or eight times, they become friends. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they look at the schedule and see me on there, and they're nice enough to show up and lend some support.
0: How long have you been doing solo shows like this?
1: Um. Actually, I started doing solos in 1980. Hmm. Uh, prior to that, it was all bands. Hmm. And I still played with some bands uh, up until a few years ago. But uh, on one of my trips to Ireland, my motherland, uh, we stopped at a at a few pubs and saw some single guys doing uh, just, you know, guitar and them, and they were doing Irish songs. And I thought, you know, I could do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of got out of control Alex. I, <laughs> I I got into playing keyboard a little bit mm-hmm. and then I got into using programmed rhythms and bass lines and after about 20 years of doing that hauling a bass amp and uh, a couple guitars and bass pedals and three keyboards uh, I finally said that's enough I'm, I'm put my hand on a keyboard and I'm pretty much singing karaoke so I decided I decided it was time to become a musician again so I re fell in love with the acoustic guitar and uh, I've been with that ever since and I just I, I just never tire of playing acoustic guitar
0: well you gave me some really good advice uh, one of the first shows that you did at the coffee shop which was probably oh goodness 2012 we had you in pretty early on I think yeah um, yep And you had said that as a solo performer, and I guess you could probably say it better than my recollection of it, but it was about lining up other members and babysitters and things like that. Do you remember what it was you had said to me?
1: I I, I really don't, but I'm an old guy now, Alex, so um, I'm not sure where my keys are right now.
0: Well, it it was something something along the lines of, uh, as a solo performer, you you never have to worry about doing songs that other members of the band don't want to, or...
1: Uh, basically, it comes down to I get along with all the band members better this way. <laughs> they all show up on time. Uh, they all do the songs I want to do. They all show up for rehearsal, and they always bring all their equipment.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, uh, to that point, I had done very few solo shows, and, and that, that ended up being uh, good advice. <laughs> I took that all to heart. Uh, yeah, the other
1: the other part I love about solo shows, of course, is just you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, uh, I I kind of like and pressure is probably not the right word after as many years as I've been doing it, but I I kind of like the fact that uh, I have to rely just on what I can do. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's why I my favorite part of the music business has always been practice and rehearsals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, you know I still try to keep remember my my my. Uh, Old hands are getting a little stiff, but uh, I'm compensating for that, and I'm still able to do what I what I want to do so far. So, I well, mean, it's been uh, it's been 58 years of doing this. So,
0: you recently had uh, some nerve surgery, yes?
1: Yeah, I had. Um, if you know what it feels like when you hit your funny bone, mm-hmm. that nerve—that's uh, what it felt like all the time for me. Hmm. Uh, and it takes the feeling away from your last two fingers, your pinky finger and the one next to it. So you kind of lose control, and they lose proprioception, which means if you try to pick up a pill, for example, you can't do it. Mm-hmm, and coordinate your fingers. So that's why I had to wear that pressure glove for a while, because that, that helped a lot. But uh, the surgery is about four weeks uh, ago, and uh, it's all healed, and uh, I got about 80% of my control back, and and it's getting better every day.
0: That was affecting your right arm, correct?
1: Yeah, my, my, and I'm, I'm basically a finger-style guitarist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although being self-taught, I do it all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's what made it tough. I've, I've incorporated a few strumming songs in there to give my hands a break.
0: Prior to doing the solo shows in the 80s, you said that you had been all about bands. Can we take that back a little bit? Can we talk about how you got your start and, and what influenced you uh, early on?
1: Yeah, this is kind of a cool story. Um, I was raised by grandparents from the age of one on, and my grandfather, when he was a young man, before he was married, was a fiddler, excuse me. And, uh, he had his band, uh, he had a band together called the Foot Warmer. So this was back in the, uh, in the mid to late twenties. And then when he married my grandmother, she was a piano player and, um, When they had kids, they had three daughters. So my one aunt played the trumpet, my other aunt was a drummer, my mother was a sax player, and my grandpa was on fiddle, and my grandmother was on piano, (laughs) and they were called the Swail, S-W-A-I-L. That's my middle name, by the way. Hmm. That was their last name, Swail Family Orchestra. And they would play uh, barn dances during the Depression. And uh, they would even have what they call bathtub beer. I'm not sure how to make that, but... They used to charge a quarter to get in, and people could forget about the depression for a few hours, which is a big part of, as you know, yeah. what playing music is about. It's You get lost in a song or a trip's a trips memory for you,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, all of a sudden all the things that are, you worry about throughout the rest of your life kind of disappear for an hour or so. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they did that. Uh, when they thought they were too old to keep going, um, the the two aunts and my mother... And their husbands had a dance band in the 40s and early 50s. They were called, um, I can't think of it now. Um, But anyway, like everybody, probably your age on up and my age, certainly watched that Sullivan show, Mm -hmm. the Sullivan show. Mm -hmm. And my twin cousins uh, and I sat and watched the Beatles on that show and said, we want to do that. Well, every kid our age wanted to do that. The the secret was sticking with it and learning how to play things and and making mistakes and uh, getting hoots from the audience because you screwed up. Sure. Uh, but but we kept at it and uh, ended up uh, opening for a lot of big name bands, which your young listeners won't recognize, but you certainly will. Uh, that was kind of our forte. We would be the opening act for. Vanilla uh, Fudge, Sam the Sham, Tommy James, The Turtles, mm-hmm. uh, the grassroots bands like that, The Association. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, finally, in 1970, uh, I decided it was time to give it up because I went and fell in love, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, being married in that kind of business is not a not a good mix. So, I kind of gave it up for about two or three years, and I would play. An occasional coffee house
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, or jam with some people. Um, and then uh, about 1980, when I started doing my solo, my wife says, you know, you really don't have anything else to do but come home from work and go to bed and get up and go to work. Why don't you start playing again?
2: Hmm.
1: Well, she opened Pandora's box because <laughs> I've been doing it ever since. In the, in the 80s and early 90s, I was doing six nights a week and working full time, mm-hmm. which is explains the color of my hair but I still have it so
0: <laughs> well let's let's talk about the the Swale family the 20s yeah. were they doing were they doing ragtime were they doing jazz what were the, what were they doing
1: it, it was kind of, the foot warmers were kind of a dance band okay um so it would be you know what I, I don't think that they did uh, much jazz but they did they did you know uh, in the genre of Irving Berlin and and um uh, uh-huh. you know, people like that. Okay. Sammy Conn.
0: So um, so a little croony, a little swoony, a little uh a
1: little toe tapper.
0: Yeah, a little uh two steps. Lawrence Welk sort of Yeah,
1: Fox trot type stuff, yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. But then your parents in or in the forties when they became that dance band, did they bring That's in right. more to that was it yeah yeah they, then it was a they, big band sort of thing
1: yeah, yeah they they do they you know do small uh, uh small arrangements of big band stuff
0: and they were they were doing this all around uh, northern illinois then
1: yep they were northern illinois
0: and and your stomping grounds are they rockford or where are you from i was
1: originally? born in bel I was born in belvedere okay uh which is 12 miles from rockford um and and my wife was from rockford mm-hmm and uh, I, whenever I tell How We Met, I always think of Gene Simmons' uh, statement that the only reason people get into rock and roll is to get women. If they tell you anything else, they're lying. <laughs> well, he, he's lying. He's wrong because uh, we did it, my cousins and I, and, and their classmate that was our fourth member, we did it because we loved it. We yeah. loved being on stage. We loved uh, the attention. We loved playing in music. Uh we played a lot, and when we weren't playing, we practiced because at that time we had no rent,
2: mm-hmm. we
1: had no no dependents, uh, and we could spend all our money on music, which I did.
0: Well, it, it, you know, you get to a certain point where, like you said, you know, you fall in love and you feel like there's a, a certain amount of responsibility that you have to take on. And especially once you start, you know, having children, having a family, it, it becomes more of a a hobby project for a lot of people. Right. And then right. once the kids are a little bit more self-sufficient and once uh, all oars are moving in the same direction, then you can kind of pick it back up again. And I yep. think that when you do, in my case, when I did, uh, I I was um, a lot more, oh gosh, I would want to say um, I was more interested in having my own voice than trying to sound like, like something or somebody else mm-hmm. at that point. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know if that was the case for you as well.
1: I have a theory on that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and let's talk about Hoyle songs for a minute. Okay. Over over the course of the long life of a Hoyle, as you know, they sing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, their original song eventually changes to the end of their life to a completely different song.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I uh, When I learn a song, I don't know how you do it, Alex, and I don't know how true you need to be. Of course... You, with the band you're with now, with Jaco, you're doing a lot of original stuff.
0: Right, and yeah, I I, I have a very uh, narrow path for my part. Okay.
1: Um, but I find that if I would record uh, a song I'm learning, um, take uh, Mac Davis' I Believe in Music, for example. Okay. I'll learn it, you know, I'll, I'll print the lyrics out and I'll listen to his version and I'll do that. If I play it a year later the way I'm doing it, it's become my own arrangement, kind of. It's mm-hmm. still certainly the recognizable song and the recognizable hook, but 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 it's kind of become my my song in that regard.
0: Mm-hmm. You and I both, uh, I think, share an appreciation for uh, Brian Beebe up yeah. in the uh, Wisconsin Dells area, and he he has also, as you have, he's also been inspiring to me in so much as he's entertaining and and that's the most important thing for him is that he's entertaining. He doesn't have to do the song exactly as people would expect and 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 if you go and see him enough times and unfortunately he's he's out of commission right now due to health issues right. but um when you would go and see him he he would do maybe you know enough recognizable portions of a song and you know maybe the first verse into the first chorus and then he'd he'd talk to the people while he was still playing maybe come yeah. around to the bridge the second chorus and then out and that yeah. was it and 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 people just loved it they and every now and then especially if you requested something that that you know that he loved like a Tom Waits song or something of that nature he would he would do that song start to finish you know everything in there but but other things you know especially i hate to say the hack material but like brown eyed girl or something like that yeah, yeah he would spend a fair amount of time you know talking through the song play enough of it and then okay well you know now you got your request sort of thing and yeah. uh, but not in a way that was disrespectful more in a way that was uh fun, fun and yeah. and it was a it was a real inspiration to me i i, I saw that and i thought to myself yeah you know they're here to see you. Yes, they want to hear recognizable songs, but they're here to see you as well.
1: Right. And that's how you, that's how you gain a following of people coming back, too.
0: How are you about requests?
1: Um, I, <laughs> there was a place I used to play in Portage uh, where I had a famous line and they ended up putting on the posters. He takes all requests, but he won't play them. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a repertoire of about 250 songs that I, that I have active right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, you know, as you know, well, with with your band, you may have a certain uh, age group mm-hmm. that comes to see you. I I have young and old, and um, I'm I'm not too familiar with with the newer stuff. What mm-hmm. I do, what I call the music of your life, to rob a radio station's tag, um, and and when they hear a Gordon Lightfoot, Evan Fitzgerald, mm-hmm. or Sundown. Or they hear Paul Simon's of Sounds of Silence." Uh, everybody relates to that. Thirty-year-olds, mm-hmm. forty-year-olds, seventy-year-olds—you know. When you think Paul Simon is about seventy-eight years old now, yeah. And Lightfoot is going on eighty-one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: but their songs are so strong. That's why people still buy Beatles records. Their, their songs are so strong that they're just—they're truly are timeless.
0: Now the Sullivan Show impacted you, your cousins, and uh, a friend to to start this band. Was this the Esquires?
1: Yeah, it was. And, yes, it was. and at the time that was a pretty cool name, but that was almost sixty years ago. Now it seems kind of silly. no. It,
0: it, it seems fitting for the time. It still seems like a pretty cool. I mean, you know, you think about those. Everybody, I'm I'm sure you've seen the movie uh, that thing you do. Yeah. Right? which for me along with spinal tap i think uh, is one of the movies that musicians should see um and they did you know they they had a fair amount of time deliberating on the the name because they wanted to make sure that it was something that was going to uh you know make them stand out so yep. you know that's as important as uh, as the hairstyle or as important as making sure that that you know all of your guitars match yeah and did you guys uh, were you doing original stuff at that point, or were you just doing uh, we, covers of we were contemporary? A, we were a
1: cover. We were a cover band, but we did a lot of show stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we did a song by, um, and, and, and this is way before the effects that are out now. This was back in the mid '60s. Mm-hmm. We did a song by the Animals called "Sky Pilot."
0: Okay, sure, I know uh, that song.
1: In the middle of that song on the recording by the Animals, there's. Uh, an air war going on and airplanes are going off and bagpipes are playing and it, it crescendos and the retards. And we didn't have all that. So we had some guys on our road crew use the echoplex. Mm-hmm. You remember those things echo mm-hmm. that echoed, was on a tape mm-hmm. and also the reverb units and banging on the reverb units and making it, you know, sounds like that. Mm-hmm. And then gently come down and then go back into the song. Uh, we did a song called, uh, these boots were made for walking. Mm-hmm. And we taped, we duct taped string to a pair of boots. And as we did the song, one of the guys in our road crew would shuffle the boots across the stage. Of course, <laughs> half the time the boots would fall over, but it was kind of like Spinal <laughs> Tap, you know, with the, with the Stonehenge thing. So we, we, did a, we did a lot of that kind of stuff. And it was just flat out fun when it worked and when it didn't work. So what
0: brought you to Wisconsin then in the, uh, in the late 60s, early 70s? What, what brought you up this way?
1: Well, I I attended Whitewater for a while, Mm -hmm. uh, and then got a job in about 1968. I was in Whitewater, I think around 67, 68. Um, and, uh, we got married in 1970. And since I had a job up there and my wife had just graduated from x-ray school, she got a job in a hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, so we stayed there and we moved around in Wisconsin a few times for different jobs. Mm -hmm. And uh, I took a year in Chicago. You're familiar with that town? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And at that time, our twin girls, uh, we didn't have have our son yet, but our twin girls were about a year old. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we lived in Rolling Meadows Mm -hmm. and hated it. Mm
2: -hmm. Uh,
1: I commuted 33 miles each way, and I was gone 11 hours a day Mm -hmm. just because of the commute. And after a year, we decided... We had it. We're going to quit our job and just move someplace. And at that time, the only place we wanted to move was Madison,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because Madison was a lot cooler then than it is now.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so we moved to Madison. I got a job in Portage. Um, ended up moving to Portage so we could be closer to the job, and we spent forty-three years there.
0: Nice. Yeah, Portage is uh, Portage is an interesting town. I really um, I really like the aesthetic of the downtown area of Portage quite a bit. Um, when we moved here actually, because it was, uh, some of the larger buildings downtown and there was, a, a fair amount of, um, shadowing, you know, it wasn't so wide open. it, it made me, it, it was reminiscent to some of the, you know, some of the neighborhoods in the city. So I, I rather like Portage for that reason. Um never, never really made it it's it's odd to think of the fact that you know you mentioned thirty three you know thirty three miles and however many hours well thirty three miles in Wisconsin really isn't all that much right because no, you have the pedal down most of the time um but still never really made it uh made it over the over the the water to portage all that often played a few gigs there you know in the early two thousands and stuff like that, but uh have appreciation for the aesthetic of the town, but don't really know that much of it.
1: Well, we we enjoyed our time there. Um, Over the years, just about everyone we knew had either passed away or had moved away. Mm -hmm. Um, And we both worked in the Madison area. I worked at a a surgery center down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, my wife worked for UW. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
1: So we spent, actually, the only thing we did in Portage was basically sleep (laughs) and maybe eat a meal here and there. Otherwise we spend all our time in Madison. Sure. It's it's kind of become a corporate high rise area now, which is kind of a shame because all those beautiful little small unique businesses that made State Street have so much character are, are dropping like flies.
0: Yeah, it uh when I moved to Madison at the age of nineteen, um there so was still that's
1: like fifteen years ago now.
0: <laughs> uh, there were still cornfields in between Madison and Middleton. There was still some distance, yeah. and yeah. you know Madison itself, which I lived on. Um, I lived on Allied Drive. I don't if you're if you're familiar with Madison, you know where that is. It's on sort yeah. of the the southwest end, and then I eventually moved uh, to an area that's really seeing some overhaul right now, which was on University Avenue um, and Temkin Way, um, which... Right now, I mean, there's there's still, like Brennan's was there. Brennan's has been closed now for a few years, and the building is empty, but still sitting there. But right as you start traveling downtown from that area, there's a lot of the mixed-use buildings, which are, you know, retail yeah. on the first floor, and then the condos or apartments up above. And it, I agree with you. It really is losing uh, some of the character, even on that end of town, which you know yeah. isn't really campus.
1: And and I can't begrudge the city of Madison because. Um, you know, I sound like an old guy now saying, well, when I was young, it was like this. Um, I mean, that's things change. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not going to be able to stop it. So mm-hmm. the, whether you call it progress or you call it change or whether you call it uh, income separation or whatever, mm-hmm. um, it is what it is. And, and Madison is still a thriving community, although recently, I don't know if you've been to State Street lately.
0: Uh, probably. Oh gosh, um, one time in 2020, and that was pretty early on in the year.
1: Okay, that was before all the trouble they had downtown. Yes, with with the disturbances, and uh, I would say nine out of ten businesses on State Street, from the 100 block down to campus, are boarded up.
0: Hmm. And and, and just course, not coming back. You don't think?
1: Well, I don't know whether they will or not. I know. My wife volunteered for a fair trade place down there, and they they had to close up because they had no foot traffic. Mm-hmm. We, we go down there on a Saturday now, and you, you could bowl down there without hitting anybody. Mm. It's it's just a it's a ghost town. I'm hoping that when this whole pandemic mess is resolved, one way or the other, that uh, it can come back. But a lot of the small businesses have suffered horribly.
0: Do you think that 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 is exclusively as a result of the pandemic, or do you think that that some of the unrest that had happened in 2020 contributed to people not wanting to be in that area either?
1: Yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's um it's no secret that Madison's always been a pretty leftist town
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and so the the politics in the capitol and the politics in Washington were uh adversely opposed to, to the Madison mainstream. If you look at the election results of the last election, mm-hmm. you can see how overwhelmingly Madison went the other way, which yeah. is not surprising. Right. Uh, so that tension has been there for a long time, since 2010.
0: Yeah, in 2010, December of 2010, my daughter was in the hospital. Um, and she was in there for, for quite a long uh, stay. She uh, she was septic, and um, she was at the, the Children's mm-hmm. Hospital. And of course, then during that time in um, early 2011 was um, when there was uh, Scott Walker had uh, Act 10. Yeah, he had he had tried to stomp out all collective bargaining, and um, so of course we're in the hospital with nurses who were wearing you know pins and things that were showing support of of you know their their brotherhood and sisterhood, and and so we took a day it was it was more like a night drive because i was i was honestly staying at the hospital with my daughter the whole time mm-hmm. and hopped in the car and drove down to the capitol just to see what was going on at that time and um i agree with you madison madisonians madisonians are um very left of center but wisconsin as a as a whole certainly is not and that was no. that was a real that was a real battleground at that point. I mean, not in the same terms as the BLM movement, of course, in 2020, but, um, it was, it was really heated.
1: Yeah. It's, it's purple now. It's hard for me to reconcile that, uh, fighting Bob Lathala was a Republican, but, uh, <laughs> that's the way things change.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was an interesting time. It was, it's been a few interesting years. Um, I, I, between you and I and anybody who's going to end up listening to this podcast, I don't think we've seen the last of Scott Walker, um, to be honest with you, because he's a, uh, uh, to run the risk of losing anybody who might be listening, but so what. Um, he's a bit of a bootlicker, and there's always a bit boots. of bootlicker? <laughs> and there's yeah. always boots, right? Yeah. So, I mean. Although
1: the Koch Co- the, the, the Co- brother who's left is now recanted and is, Mia
0: culpa, mia culpa. Yeah, well, there's a there's a fair amount of of that happening all around, right? But uh, they also are afraid of losing losing their uh, their hate filled constituencies, right? So yeah, that's a that's a big thing. Um, how did you you know you and I have had many conversations similar to this, and and I know that that um that you have uh, you have some very strong opinions and 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 you back them. How how did you deal with that here in Wisconsin and in so much as I mean to say that just before the election I was and and you were still living here I think at that time um my job my day job is you know kind of takes me all around the state um and 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 never really outside of the state much and I do drive quite a bit and you know in and around your your previous area of, of portage and and going you know into Marquette County and stuff there was a lot of Trump support a lot yeah. of it. And and it was it was frightening to me in some respects to see it. It was almost as if uh does this sound extreme? It's almost as if you you see somebody hanging, you know, hanging from a tree or something when you see when <laughs> you see the flags yes. and
1: things. Well, my, my wife and I were door knockers uh mm-hmm. since 2010. We worked on a lot of campaigns. Uh and and I'm not uh I'm not going to say that I'm a Democrat because I have some problems with some of the Democrats too. I'm, I'm, I'm farther left than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, But given the two choices of the two party system, there's really not much choice for a guy like me. Right. So we knocked a lot of doors and and I will agree with you, that we, we, we went to Marquette County uh, and it depends on where you go, but we, our County in Columbia County uh, in 2010 until this last election, we turned to blue hmm. and it, it, it had always been Republican. Uh, we had an active, uh, democratic office and this past election, they decided not to have an office there because of the pandemic. And obviously that knocked out the door knocking. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and I think the Republicans won Columbia County by like 160 votes or something like that. But, um, uh, Wisconsin came through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, when it was needed, <laughs> when yeah. it was needed, it is, it yeah. is a, a challenge for me. I, I, um, growing up in Illinois, you know, which is, uh, Chicago particularly is pretty staunchly democratic. Um,
1: yeah, That's an understatement. I like
0: yeah, yeah. But what was funny too was, you know, um, whenever there would be people who would, uh, maybe, uh, I don't want to use the term corrupt, <laughs> But whenever there were you certainly can, whenever there are politicians who who maybe weren't on the up and up, there were a lot of people who were uh, really startled by that. Friends and neighbors here in Wisconsin, and having grown up in Chicago, that was uh, that was no surprise to me. Yeah, <laughs> so, I, yeah, that's how they all are.
1: Yeah, uh, actually, it's just probably more well hidden in the northern states uh, from Chicago. But uh, the, cor- the the name of the game is corruption there top to bottom, both parties.
0: Yeah, I, I have to agree with you on that. You really have to just find somebody who can hit as many of the key things that are important to you, because none of them are going to hit all of them.
1: Yeah, that's very true, and there's, there's not many in that group that I'm enthusiastic about, but there are a couple.
0: Yeah. Well, just so long as uh, just so long as now we can keep the uh, white supremacy out from...
1: Well, it's been legitimized now. Yeah. You know, after the Civil War, it kind of it kind of had to get dirt thrown on and covered up, and it was underground. But it was always there, gurgling and boiling. Uh, the the last administration just legitimized it.
0: The thing that's probably most frightening to me in terms of the the last the, the previous administration is that the next person that makes this sort of play is going to be smarter and. Yeah. That's that's yeah, that's, that's, that's be not hard. too
1: hard. Yeah, that's pretty easy to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's easy to be smarter than that guy, but but the scary part of it is that when they are smarter than then, you know, they're the likelihood is that they're going to get further.
1: They may. Uh, I I'm constantly amazed at the American public in general, the voting population, that something like a television ad or a radio host can entrap you mm-hmm. and and. You lose all critical thought, you lose all logic, you lose all reason, and uh, you just march to that to that drum. I don't understand it. Yeah. Think.
0: Lori and I were talking earlier today. Uh, How is Lori, by the way? She's good. She's actually uh, at work. I don't know if you know that when we um, when we finally closed the doors on the coffee shop, she now is in a career where she is a unit secretary for the emergency room here at the
1: hospital. Oh, okay so she's working my old gig kind of. I, I never worked, I never worked ER
0: but yeah yeah she's she's unit secretary so um she's a she's she does a lot of things all day long <laughs> yeah and being the ER and being uh you know of course covid she she and this kind of ties in with what i was saying about the statistics she sees that that you know, obviously it's not a hoax. She sees it, you know, yeah. the results of people who aren't being cautious. She sees the results of people who aren't, you know, masking or aren't doing, you know, yeah. their part to try and help other people out. And she gets very frustrated by that.
1: Yeah, I am too. I'm you know, I, I, I retired uh now four years ago this July. Uh and I really miss the nursing profession. It was a wonderful job. I I loved it. Um but I got this 69 i was just too old to keep doing it um uh but uh, you know not masking or saying i have a medical condition you know my son works on a a transplant unit he's an rn as well uh and he's around COVID people all the time Mm -hmm. and he's an asthmatic Mm -hmm. and he wears a mask eight to ten hours a day Mm -hmm. and seems to survive just fine
0: well and and so that's the thing right about statistics, and i <laughs> it's this might sound like a far reach, but i I blame a lot of this on on the o j Simpson trial to be honest with you and and hear me out as I connect these dots the o j trial made it made it well known and widespread that you don't have to prove innocence, you only have to show that there's reasonable doubt right right. That being said, now people are taking the stance of if something has a 95% efficacy, they're focused more on the 5% that, that isn't, right? So now they're throwing everything out. Well, it's not perfect. It's not perfect. It's only 95% perfect. Or, you know, wearing a mask only has a certain percentage percentage of efficacy as well. And, you know, so why wear it if there's this amount that doesn't? It's... Very easy to find something that's going to substantiate your viewpoint regardless of of what it is and that's and what's fru-
1: what's frustrating is when you tell them that the flu vaccine is roughly seventy two to seventy five percent effective mm-hmm. the one you get every year that they don't believe you right because they've heard about the five percent and the hoax and mm-hmm. and they bought into it I, I I don't understand how a rational human being can to say the masking doesn't help at all, because yeah. it certainly does. Had we masked the whole country early on, and this probably applies to other countries as well, um, we probably wouldn't be in bad a shape as we are now.
0: Well, think about it in these terms, too. Um, it's very, very cold here in the Midwest, so people aren't getting out and about like they like they would have a few months earlier. People are being, you know... There is a mask mandate, whether or not people are, are doing it. I think that there's a high percentage of people who are. So as a result, people aren't getting out. It's cold. When they do get out, they're wearing a mask. There's been little to no cases of flu here in Reedsburg during this flu season at all.
1: And, and now that you brought that up, I've just noticed in the two months I've been here in, in the Rockford area, um, everybody down here, wherever I go, is masked Hmm. and i didn't find that in wisconsin Mm -hmm. and i i don't know how to reconcile that i'm not sure there's a rational reason or maybe it's just coincidence and maybe i'm not running into the no mask area i don't know but but uh you know we do you know we do our grocery shopping down here we go to the hardware store and everywhere we go everybody's got a mask on and it's a mask mandate of course Mm -hmm. but as you say in wisconsin how many are are you know, sticking with that.
0: Have you or your wife had the vaccine yet?
1: Um, uh, she just got her second one today, and I get mine in, in early March, my second one.
0: Nice. And so how did uh, how did you handle the first one? any any uh, symptoms, any things that were an issue?
1: Historically, I have never had a problem with vaccines. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I used to give a lot of them. And people would, you know, get redness or they'd get headaches or sick, but I didn't have a problem at all. Lori My wife had, had a, a headache and some fatigue
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, with the first one, and I asked her how she did today, and so far so good, but she's starting to get tired out, so she's, you know, she's going to hit the she- uh, sheets pretty soon.
0: Yeah, Lori. Uh, Lori had the knot in her arm the first time, and. Um you know just like with the flu shot she also gets a knot in her arm with the flu shot and it lasts about three days Mm -hmm. um she had the second shot last week and uh she got it on monday tuesday she she won all she wanted to do tuesday was sleep Mm -hmm. and um she was in a position to where that wasn't an issue so she slept most of the day and by wednesday she felt just fine so No,
1: you've had your two shots?
0: I have not had any. I don't work in healthcare and I am not of an and, age where I I can I can get it. I, I can't oh. even sign up and be on a waiting list yet. Wow. So oh. everybody But it's nice being young, isn't it? <laughs> I did have COVID though. I had I know you did. Yeah, I, I had it in September.
1: Um and how are you how did you do after that? Have you had lasting effects?
0: My lasting effects uh, were probably a good month and a half after um after i had broken the fever for good um those lasting effects that i had were um shortness of breath and things that were very normally very simple for me uh our bedroom is on the second floor just going up to the second floor i was out of breath um Mm. there there wasn't a lot of anything else like you know Everybody that I've talked to, because once I publicly had said that I had it, and and part of the reason I've never really said anything about this, but part of the reason why I did it was because all of the um, the communities that I thought that I would be able to sign sign up with, like on Facebook or other social media that were support groups, they weren't really that supportive. It was really just uh-huh. a lot of people asking questions, like what were the first symptoms that you had, because you know they're all nervous. Yeah. Um. So then I thought, well, I've I've got. Three hundred friends on social media, so if I need support, that's who I'm going to turn to, I guess. Yeah. And so. Well,
1: as you know, COVID is a respiratory infection, so.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. That,
1: that's why burdens of breath.
0: Well, what the best advice that I had ever gotten came from a friend of mine. His name is uh, Andrew Dalnecki, and he's from Chicago, actually. He had it for 27 days. Um, yeah. And he said that. You have to resist the temptation to, because all I felt like I wanted to do was sleep, and he's like, mm-hmm. because it it is respiratory, just as you're saying, you have to resist the temptation to to lay down and sleep and get up every day and walk and you know keep the aerobics going, um, otherwise that's what'll get you, and it, I think that that was really that, and I, I I really um I really stepped up taking vitamin D. Um, because I did read some, some things yeah. where vitamin D was a, a, a good, um, a good thing to, to start, you know, getting on board. Um, I haven't taking it years. It, you know, I, I've been, um, I still have the antibodies. I just donated plasma a couple of weeks ago. It still and tests true. that I have the antibodies. So I guess if I, yeah. if I can't get the vaccine yet, at least I'm, I'm, you know, fairly in the clear.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it, it was, it was, uh. It was rough, and I think the mental game was probably more more challenging to me than the physical game because, uh, you know, when when you have something that that has a known uh, fatality uh, component to it, that that really starts to play on you, even and though. And they it every day. Yeah, yeah, a, a, you know, and, I, and I'm and I'm seeing things like, uh, oh, you know, the 17 year old kid. Uh, he he used to be on the basketball team, and he got COVID, and he lost his leg, and then he died, you know, and it's like, my goodness, what sort of chance do I have?
1: To reinforce what you said, Alex, and if anybody happens to be listening that knows somebody with COVID or is wondering what to do if it lands on them, uh, I'm not a religiously Chris Como watcher. But I was watching him during the period when he was diagnosed Mm -hmm. with COVID and still doing his shows. And he said um, two things, one of which you said. One of of them he said was they said, get up, stand up, raise your arms over your head and inhale deeply. Mm. Do it every single day. The other thing is resist the temptation to sleep all day. Get up. You're not going to feel like it. You're going to feel like you just want to collapse, get up and walk. Yeah, and uh, and he got over it all. He's had some some short-term memory um, repercussions from it. I don't. I haven't watched him in a while, so
0: it's it's a very um, pervasive thing. I, I I and it's hard because I felt like during the time that I did have what they call COVID, what they've been calling COVID brain or COVID fog or whatever, I felt like I had that during that time. And and another thing is I would I would be watching something on television or reading a book, and then all of a sudden I would find myself waking up. 25, 30 minutes later, not realizing that I'd been sleeping, um, and and yet
1: I know an eighty-one-year-old man that I'm acquainted with, who was diagnosed with COVID, and the only reason he got the diagnosis is because he lost his sense of smell,
0: mm-hmm. and that was it. Yeah,
1: he had a couple you no know, smell for a couple of weeks, and it was over.
0: Well, you know, and to speak of the vaccine, you know, we've we've chased the rabbit quite a bit on this, but to speak of the vaccine. Uh, both of my parents who live in my home with me, 79 years old, both of them, they're a month apart, and Lori's grandmother, who's 87, all three of them have undergone the first round of shots, um, nothing, no side effects, no anything. It's just, you know, it's so strange. It seems like, you know, uh, worldwide, that age group was, was really endangered, and yet yep. they seem to be responding really well to uh, to the vaccine.
1: Yeah, I think I think part of that came from the nursing homes where they're in a, a, a closed environment, mm-hmm. and so when one of them gets an A and then B when they're a little bit older, and then C when they're compromised in some way or another, mm-hmm. put it all together, and you got a hotbed.
0: Yeah, you you are right. Well, and speaking of the pandemic, you have been very busy during that time uh, entertaining. Any and all who are willing to uh, stop by your Facebook page uh, daily. Uh, you took a little break when you moved, and you did take a little break for some reflection once or twice to think about how you wanted to proceed. Um, but you've been you've been recording and 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 posting videos, performing uh, daily.
1: Well, here's here's how that started, and then I'll, I'll correct you at the very end. Uh, St. St. Patrick's Day. Uh, 2020 uh i have always played at aaron's irish pub in in madison
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh and the reason he liked me playing there is because i would do only three hours of irish music
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know no no top 40 no whatever i would do nothing but irish songs and he liked that because you know it fit right in with his genre and then the next band the next act would go up and do the usual stuff mm-hmm. not necessarily irish um And I didn't get to do it this year because of the pandemic. So on the 17th, I decided, darn it, we all got cheated on a St. Patrick's Day, which in my family is the highest holiday of the year. Sure. Um, And and, um, so I put four Irish songs on. uh, I didn't put it on YouTube. I just, you know, set the camera up and did videos for Facebook. Mm -hmm. And the next day I thought, well, that's kind of fun i do it again. Well, what happened was for the next three months, the next 91 days, I did four to five videos a day. <laughs> and, uh, so then obviously I would start branching out of Irish stuff and I start doing old rock songs and old folk songs. Uh, and I got up to a, uh, just a little over 300 videos in those three months. And, um, uh, my hand started getting a little sore
2: mm-hmm.
1: and <laughs> mm-hmm. enter the ulnar nerve thing. Um, so that's when I said I've got to take a break from this. Uh, and I found the pressure glove. I put that on. And I decided to just do instead of every day now to, to set the record straight. I'm doing about uh, two a week.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Um, and I'm not. I, I, I'm, I'm. coming up on 400 songs here that I'm trying not to repeat any. <laughs> so I am having to learn some. But there's songs you and I are familiar with. Sure, sure. You know, I've got on my list here, I've got... Uh, Time is on my side by The Stones. You mm-hmm, know,
0: mm-hmm. Uh,
1: the last one I did was "Morning Is Broken" by Cat Stevens. Yeah, and,
0: I caught that one.
1: And um, so, uh, I'm not really rehearsing them. I'm getting them through uh, where, yeah, it's just a video and it's not a it's not an audition. I'll just put it on there. Mm-hmm. And people relate to that kind of music.
2: They,
1: that's the kind of music that I do when I'm when I'm out playing. And, it, and it's kind of universal. It kind of appeals to most people. So I just do it to. You know, sometimes it'd be nice to wake up to somebody you know doing a song. Yeah. And enough people like it that I'll keep doing it until, until Facebook throws me off or until the people say, for God's sake, stop.
0: <laughs> well, I think that what I've seen, uh, and and there, yeah, Morning is Broken was one of the, the most recent ones, but there was a song, oh, gosh, I, I don't remember, but there was a song that you had done um, – a few months back and just before you moved or maybe right after you moved. And it was really a surprising song, like a song that nobody does. And I apologize. I don't remember which one it was. It might've been the
1: Andy Williams song.
0: It might've been. It, it, it might've been now that you mention it, but I was really, I was and really I did, impressed.
1: And I, and I did Sinatra's uh, Something Stupid too. <laughs> you know.
0: So are, in your, in your performance that you do as your solo performance, how many of those songs, if any, are you doing that you have done since back with the Esquires?
1: Um actually probably none. Okay. Um because most of those were songs that lent themselves to bands and harmonies. Mm-hmm. And that's of course the downside of doing uh doing a single.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Some some single acts that I know use the vocal enhancers or they can sing harmonies with themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, for me, that's sliding back into, to, to not creating my own sound. Right. Using something else to make it. I've got a chorus pedal and I've got an equalizer and, uh, and a, and a little slapback echo mm-hmm. and that's about all the effects that I use.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, yeah, the, the, in fact, some of the Esquire stuff uh, I couldn't probably come up with a set full of it now. But
0: how interesting! Um, you guys didn't do it, it, "Bus Stop" back then, Pardon? You didn't do "Bus Stop" back then by the Hollies. No,
1: no, we didn't.
0: Uh-uh. Uh, I would have thought that that would have been one that would have uh, been uh, transcendent.
1: I, I did do He Ain't Heavy" on my videos. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I'm doing. I did some Everly Brothers. I'm doing some stuff that. Has harmonies in it that I just leave the harmony out. You know, yeah. Sing them
0: out. Yeah. Leave it. Uh, leave it to the people who show up to sing the harmonies with you if they're into it.
1: And having having had you say that, there are certain songs that I know. If I'm if I'm kind of got the audience on the edge, where they're kind of listening and they're kind of not. If I do "Piano Man," <laughs> they're all going to be singing by the end of that song. <laughs> Same with uh, your song by Elton John. I hope you don't mind. Mm-hmm. I hope you don't mind. They all sing that that too. So I I get them on that.
0: Yeah, it it's interesting. Um, when I was doing the solo shows at like House of Embers and a few other places, um, I I never shied away from you know doing the stuff that people wanted, like Brown Eyed Girl, and that sort of thing. It, it never really bothered me. Or Mustang Sally. You know, I always feel like my job is there to entertain people ultimately, yeah. you know, and if that's what they want and that's what they find entertaining, I, I, you know, why not? Say I played a show one time where somebody had asked for a song and I, I didn't remember it at the time, but I did remember it afterwards. And I just, I took the guitar down, the acoustic down with me and sat with them at their table and played for I've them. Done yeah, you know. I've done that. Yeah, I've done and um, you know, as much of it as I could remember anyway.
1: Yeah, there there's an old story, you've probably seen it too, where the 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 band has their list up in front and it's it's got tips for certain songs
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, mm-hmm. and on it will say like uh I don't know, something by Band Company, one dollar, something by uh the Beatles, one dollar, uh Proud Mary ten dollars, <laughs> um Freebird, five hundred dollars. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, given the amount of uh, playing opportunities in this last year, and, and, you know, of course, 2021 seems to be a, a bit of an unknown as well, uh, I think that there's probably a few people who would uh, clamor at the chance of being able to play Proud Mary again right now.
1: Yeah, there might be. I, f- I feel like this is kind
0: of weeding people out a little bit, though, too. do you, do you Do you have that sense as well, people who might have been on the fence? About... About you know how much they wanted to stick with music, I mean I've been seeing i don't know oh, I, see, yeah. I don't know if 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 you follow any of the uh the marketplace you know like the facebook marketplace i, I do uh, have you not noticed a a ton of live gear and really nice guitars up yeah. for sale lately
1: yeah at at uh, some of it at prices that people who are out of work can't afford anyway
0: well, of course. They're um, they're hoping to they're hoping to uh you know, to cash in <laughs> something that yeah. maybe is gonna cover their rent or house payment for the next couple of months too.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been discouraging, but um I can always come in the little room I'm in right now and pick up one of my guitars and and I'm satisfied. Um I I miss playing out, but I, I would miss playing altogether if I didn't do that. No and, and getting back to your point about you know, giving people what they want. It's been, it's been my contention, and I tell my employers this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that regardless of what you heard about people wanting to maintain their musical integrity and, and try new, new original material, that's all fine and good. But my job as the musician in the, in the venues that I play is to keep people in the seats yep. and spending some money. So uh, that's where I walk the fine line where I can. Uh, I try to do songs that people like to hear. That's why I do the the Edmund Fitzgerald and and I try to pick good songs mm-hmm. that I, I know people are going to like. I believe in music, and uh, I even do a Carpenter song,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: "Top of the World." Mm-hmm. But um, but and then every once in a while I can throw one in that I really like.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's 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 the joy of it, isn't it? Yeah. I I had a conversation with with Michael Boyce who um, who owns the the House of Embers and I asked him because I noticed um, after my first summer there and he kept me on over the winter playing indoors I noticed that people were were sticking around and I asked him if he wanted me to take more breaks to to turn tables because Mm -hmm. you know maybe people are waiting to get to some of these tables and and you know they're they're there's people that are sitting there maybe they'll move to the bar or something and Uh he's like no just just keep going just keep going if they're ready to leave they'll leave and we've got plenty of tables in the other areas of the the restaurant to seat people you know I I felt kind of like well you know I'm I'm happy to be entertaining I'm happy to be doing it and I'm happy that you know he's got people who maybe are sticking around a little bit longer and having that extra you know nine dollar drink (laughs) <laughs> mm. <laughs> that, they, that they maybe wouldn't have before but I also didn't want to tie up a four top with just a couple that's sitting there because I'm you know right. I'm playing their song or something right but I I you know I think that you and I both agree that you're you you collective the collective you all of us who are performing our job is really to be entertaining you yep, know that's exactly what it sounds to. if I mean, you're
1: entertaining people will stay if yes, if yes you're not entertaining and you're not at least semi-professional they're not going to stay
0: I've told uh, Jake this and of course you know Jake is um, considerably younger and he's, he's forging his own path but I had said to him you know we don't get paid for the performance we get paid for you know rehearsing the song we get paid for loading the gear for driving it here setting it up tearing it down but what happens on stage that 3 or 4 hours that we're on stage that's 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 just magic that's right. not what you're paid for you're paid for all the hassle it takes to get to that if if you know if if that was just something that was available to you at all time i think each and every one of us would do that for, for nothing. It's the hassle of what it takes to get there and to make and that happen.
1: Don't, don't you love just standing on stage playing? Oh yeah. I mean, it comes down to that for me. You just stand on stage and play. Somebody asked me one time when I was tearing my stuff down and you know, the, the worst thing you can hear and they're, they're very nice people, but they say, can I help you pack up?
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: like, Oh God, please. No. Um, Cause it, you, you, everybody's got their own way. But uh, they say you must, you must hate this part, having you know, to lug this stuff around. Fortunately, as I got older, I bought lighter equipment, and it's not as <laughs> it's not three-quarter-inch plywood anymore. Right. But I, I, told them, I said, no, I don't mind it at all. You just kind of zen with it because if I didn't do this, I couldn't do that. Right.
0: Yeah, Derek Rounder it said it's all says,
1: worthwhile. So you're right.
0: Derek Rounder said said that uh, there are times when you get done doing a show and you just look at your gear and you're like. Right now, if the bar owner offered me enough money, they could just have the gear. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, Brad, I'm really glad that we were able to to connect here. Um, before I I let you go, I I do have one thing that 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 I would like to know. Um, well, first off, is there anything else that that we haven't talked about that you'd like to?
1: No, this has gotten to, gotten into some stuff I haven't talked about in a long time. It's been fun. I, I don't get to talk to many musicians right now. The good thing about moving back to Illinois,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, my cousin from the Esquires
0: mm-hmm.
1: lives about uh, 10 minutes away from me now. Nice. And he plays in two bands down here. Like, obviously, they're right now up a Creek, too. He's a bass player, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. He's been playing since 1964, so he's a pretty good bass player.
0: Nice. Um, does he, does he uh, harmonize vocally?
1: Yeah, yeah, he sings lead and harmonizes, and I told him you and I have to get a video where mm-hmm. we're both singing. Yeah, yeah. So I look, we look forward to that. We haven't done that yet. He's been he's been busy with some family affairs, uh, and he's on vacation right now. But when we get back, we'll put one up and see what happens.
0: Well, before I let you go here, I, I I'm just curious. Um, you and your wife uh, are you in your fiftieth year of marriage?
1: Uh, we we moved to this house in Les Park on November 28th, which was our 50th anniversary.
0: So then I have to know, what's the secret? What's the secret of of, of staying together for 50 years? Because honestly, that seems like an anomaly among uh, you know the generation. So what is the secret?
1: Well, I can't speak for her because um, she has supported my music all these years. And in the days when I was playing six nights a week, I don't know how she did it. But for me, it's an easy answer. When I wake up in the morning, I fall in love all over again.
0: Brad, I really appreciate you. I do. I'm, I'm really glad that we've come to know each other over these years, and I, I thank you for, for doing this with me today. I am
1: too, Alex. It was, a, it was a great pleasure for me, and I really appreciate the opportunity to talk on my first podcast.
0: <laughs> well, you did great. Um, so anybody out there uh, listening, uh, Brad, do you have, do you have a Facebook page for your music?
1: I, I I'm, I'm on Reverb Nation when I, when I think about it. Okay. Uh, but basically I, uh, if you go to, uh, Facebook, just type in Brad Power and there are a bunch of them, a mm-hmm. bunch of Brad Powers. Mm-hmm. I'm the one with the little painted sign that says love wins. Uh-huh. And I'm the one in Loves Park, Illinois now. Oh. So, uh, and if you go on that you can see my, um, my uh, videos. Great. And um, I don't usually put a schedule up. I usually post my events and then invite people that I know are likely to want to, want to maybe consider going.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: so I don't really make it public because um, I'm a little nervous about making everything public. Of course. Of course. It goes all over the country. You know.
0: However, uh, Fawn Creek is really good at, uh, at having their schedule up as well
1: they do they do although I'm not sure they put their Fridays up I'm playing some Fridays I'll keep you in the loop on it okay
0: yeah that sounds great
1: I usually I usually do
0: well and and now now that you've relocated it sounds like uh, you know other musicians and possibly other other venues might be uh, in your future
1: that that so far has looked encouraging because there's a lot of uh, bigger restaurants here to have an outdoor venue mm-hmm. and uh Believe it or not, there's still people down here who remember me. <laughs> are you the great. one from the fires? And oh, god, it never goes away.
0: That's awesome. Thanks, Brad. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Alex. Take care and say give my best to Lori.
0: Will do. It was pretty enjoyable, wasn't it? Brad is a pretty nice guy and very entertaining. He's entertaining in conversation. He's entertaining as a performer. Definitely get the opportunity to go out there and see him performing. As he mentions, he does have some dates coming up over the spring and summer at Fawn Creek. He has plans to perform in Northern Illinois, so keep an eye on our page. We'll mention it, and we'll also give you links to following Brad Palmer. He wanted to mention the guys in the Esquires. He got excited and actually probably distracted due to my line of questioning, (laughs) and he forgot to mention them by name. So being the stand-up guy that he is, he told me if I could please mention them. So there was Tom Harrison, who was the other guitar player and vocalist, Dana Buck, bass player and vocalist, uh, he also uh, still plays in two bands in the Rockford area, which is pretty cool. Uh, his twin brother David was the drummer and the vocalist, and David and Dana are the cousins that he mentions. So, uh, and Tom apparently was a uh, a dear friend. So Tom comes up from Chattanooga to Illinois whenever he can do that, and uh, you know occasionally one or the other or a group of them play in. Uh, Fawn Creek once in a while so they're all alive and doing well and he wanted to make sure that they didn't feel slighted by not being mentioned and also the group his family group that he had um, he he had forgotten the name of they were the Stardusters so he wanted to make sure that I mentioned that as well so I told him no problem we'll tag that here after his interview so um, wrapping this up, as you notice, Lori is not a part of this wrap up and that's all well and good. We're probably going to have another episode, just the two of us coming up again soon. I do have an interview coming up, uh, really quickly for the next podcast, which will be in a couple of weeks, which I think, uh, everybody will, will really enjoy. So please stick around. I really appreciate everybody for your support. Remember that you can always go to porternotes.com, where you can actually listen to the podcast right on our webpage if you don't have a means of listening to podcasts any other way. So just go to porternotes.com. It is the top thing under the banner. Just select play, have your volume up, and you can listen to the podcast. You can even scroll through and listen to past podcasts. I've got some great interviews, uh, some fun stuff. So do give that a spin. If you listen on any other podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, we're on so many of them. I've tried to have links to all of them so that you could download them in any way that you can. But whatever it is, just do a search for Porter Notes Podcast. If it doesn't come up, let me know. I'll be more than happy to try and get the podcast on whatever platform it is that you listen to. It's a great time it's a lot of fun i really enjoy doing this and i hope to do this for as long as i possibly can do get in touch with us Uh and at gmail.com is always a great way to contact laurie and i directly or just go to porter notes podcast there's a contact page on there follow us on instagram facebook twitter been a lot of activity with twitter lately too so we really love that stay tuned for the next episode coming up in just a few weeks we love you